The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Well, good evening, my friends. Another week under our belt. Things are looking I shall say a little more promising in the market, trying to form some type of a bottom. Uh, but again, in the short term, it's noise. It's about long-term wealth creation. Uh, you know, Jack often says, and uh, good evening, Jack, uh, your line is people should, people should treat their stocks the same way they treat their homes, their real estate, uh, with a longer view. Uh, and it's so true. Um, who knows that best? Mr. Brad Lamb, uh, owner. Brad Lamb Realty, uh, Lamb Developments. Uh, this gentleman began selling condos 1985. In his first year in 1885, uh, and this is published, uh, he earned a whopping $250,000. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, boy, that's a, good, that's a good number, Brad. Congratulations for uh, a good start to your career, but obviously it didn't stop there. Um, how are things? How's business? Uh, what's on the table in the development world uh, on your plate? And uh, the mood must have, must have changed uh, come 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all the perspective. So, you know, my office and, and um, you know, I'm the leader of my office and my company. We, we take a, you're always taking a long-term view of things and, and, uh, um, I've learned to be, uh, you know, cautious uh, and never cocky. So we, we had a we had a we had a phenomenal year this year. So we've already sold a thousand apartments this year. Um, it's our it's our best year uh, in the last um, probably eight years, and we did it in in uh, in around seven months, six and a half months. Uh, Last year we, we did about six hundred transactions. So uh, yeah, no, we, we, this is this has been good. But you know, um, it's going to be tough. Uh, it's going to be very tough. This month will be a very bad month uh, overall for people that rely on real estate for uh, for a living. I think people who sell real estate be a tough month. Developers aren't launching uh, anything now. I think I think uh, most. People are sitting on their hands to see a different environment. And I think it's going to last for several months. You know, what's interesting, Brad, because um, obviously you opened up with some very uh, enthusiastic, uh, positive statements. But uh, your 30-day your, your view, uh, retrospective, uh, is a little bit more subdued. Um, so sentiment is the word I'm referring to. Your sentiment seems to be waning a little bit. Um, just hold that thought because I know, I know you're, you're chomping here. Uh, I saw some statistics, very fascinating. Um, in the United now U.S. data, but again, Jack and I read continuously looking for new research to help formulate our own thoughts. And some real estate data came across my desk. Uh, in the United States, building permits have turned lower. Um, starts I believe, or mortgage applications have turned lower. And builder sentiment, your viewpoint, has also turned lower. However, building stocks retreated for the last six months and have, in fact, turned higher. 
And I was just looking at the uh, ETF, uh, the IBTs, and you, you'll see it clear as day. The builders, the stocks themselves have turned up and are in fact up about 25% off their low, uh, still well from their peak. But there, there, there is optimism, I'm going to say, in the marketplace. The market's seeing something, I think, six months in, in advance of, i.e., the last 30 days, Brad. Can you speak to that? Yeah, listen, I mean, you've been around long enough to know that um, not to panic in downturns. The average downturn lasts nine to 12 months. Um, in every case, we come out of it. So, you know, our, our we don't need to. So everyone's different. In my particular case, our, we can live for six months with with uh, miserable revenues, um, knowing that in a year our revenues will be outstanding. The reality is, is that nothing has changed in the fundamentals of the Toronto marketplace. The Toronto marketplace is 20 years deficient in housing. In other words, sure. um, we, we have um, somewhere around 4 million homes, uh, 4.8 million homes across the country that we're deficient. And we, can, we, we, we build uh, a few hundred thousand a year. But we're 24, the country's 24 years uh, behind its production of housing. We're never going to catch up. Toronto and Vancouver are the most acute problems. So while you'll see a switch in sentiment where power moves to buyers, it's a false prophecy. It's temporary because <laughs> our central government is raising interest rates for a problem they, they created, right? The problem will be fixed, and when, when it's fixed, we'll be in the same position, only worse, because we're not going to build housing, People are taking their properties off the market and not moving. They don't need to sell. They're not going to sell. So we'll have a more acute problem when the, the inflation issue is more or less tame. So it's all about keeping the powder dry and not panicking. Um, Brad, the thousand units you've sold year to date uh, have been across this great country of ours. So you have a, a fantastic um, federal perspective, shall I say, uh, on the, the nuances of market to market. Uh, Hamilton versus Calgary, Edmonton. There must be a different mood. Uh, the, you know, we got $100 oil. Uh, the Calgary Stampede was a big success. And I think the mood in Calgary is very positive. Likewise with Edmonton. Uh, speak to that and speak to the Hamilton market as well. The differences you're noticing. Well, the... The uh, Calgary market is tiny for, for what we do, high-rise. It's not recovered yet. There's, there's, there's still no high-rise huh. market in Calgary. There hasn't been since 2014. And there's no high-rise market in Edmonton to speak of. Hmm. Um, when I say that, it's dribbles. It's nothing, right? Because what's happened is that the, the, those economies have still not recovered to 2014 prices. Now, when, in, 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 uh, in, in Hamilton... The market was booming. Uh, we we just um, launched a project uh, this this year, like sort of late last year. No, sorry, it was actually in the first quarter this year. And we averaged eleven around eleven hundred a foot for uh, a, a wow. twin tower project. Um, it was the highest pricing seen in in, in Hamilton yet, and it, it bodes well for Hamilton being a high rise city. I think people can be confident now that they can launch high-rises uh, all over the downtown core and make a reasonable profit. And that's great for that city because it means that, um, you know, it can, it can populate or repopulate its downtown core in a fantastic fashion.
If you're just tuning in, uh, we got Brad Lamb on the line. He's owner of Brad Lamb Realty. This gentleman builds tall, beautiful buildings across the country, an absolute expert uh, in the real estate market uh, uh, from a national perspective. Uh, Jack, I heard you, you had a question there for Brad. Yeah, Brad, you mentioned uh, the term delisting, you know, in the secondary market. And that's, you know, some of the stronger hands that uh, you know, list their house or list their condo and, and really don't get the price that they're looking for are just taking it off the market right now. Um, that's something we haven't seen in a long time. Obviously, things are going uh, well above asking price uh, over the last, I'm going to say, 12 to 18 months. Um, are you seeing a lot more of that? And then the, the other question I would have as a follow-up is uh, for sellers. Obviously, rates have dramatically increased and the rate of change really does matter, especially when it comes to coming off such a, a low base for interest rates. Are you seeing for sellers, maybe someone that didn't lock in and maybe took on a little bit too much debt, um, those types of people coming to the market and uh, coming at a distressed price? No, I, I don't think that's happening at all because we've, we've only seen a rise in interest rates of any magnitude for three months. It's going to take right. years for that to have an effect. I don't hmm. think so. So people who are caught in between and, and we've seen some of these guys that have bought a place um or maybe they bought a place late last year and they're updating their house to put it in the market in the spring and they missed the market. And now those people are taking it on the chin for sure. They're, they're not getting what they wanted. Um, and there's a small number of those. So the, the transaction level has dropped to about 50% of where it was last year. Um, and, and uh, you know, we, for instance, we have, uh, you know, we've got many developments we're in the middle of and we have unsold inventory in a few of them. And in, in, uh, at the start of June, I said, take everything off the market. We're not selling anything. We're not talking about it. We're not putting on the market. We're not spending any money. We're not doing a thing. Till the market is where I want it to be, we're not going to put anything on the market. So a lot of developers have done that. A lot of developers are not mothballed, but delayed project launches till things get better. Um, you're going to see a slowdown in construction uh, later this year. You'll actually feel it because projects will slow down. Um, and listen, we've seen this, this, this kind of thing in 2008, 2009, you know, that recession. 2018, when Kathleen Wynne was savaging the real estate market, it was horrible. <laughs> and, in, and 2020 in COVID. So all of this stuff that's taken place, you know, there's people who've been in the market for the last 15 or 12 years, just humans that have traded in real estate. They're very seasoned with this stuff. They've seen it. This is now the fourth downturn in real estate they've experienced. And what they do know is they end, and they end a lot faster than the pessimism, um, you know, out there uh, alludes to. So you're obviously you listen, restricting you... supply. Sorry, well, you're obviously so no, restricting go ahead, go ahead. supply there, Brad. Pardon um, me? I said you're obviously restricting supply. Uh, you're a strong hand in the real estate market. So stepping away from the retail side of things, you expect to see some distressed developers that potentially um, – you could consolidate over the next, I'm going to say, 12 to 18 months? Well, everything depends on how long uh, this, this all takes, right? So if we, if we get into an environment where interest rates go up to 9% for, hmm. you know, sort of uh, that 7 8 9% for construction money, uh, you're going to see problems in the marketplace probably. But I don't think that's anticipated. But but. The, you know, it's not just the, the, the large, strong players that are consolidating. Um, homeowners that considered selling are not selling. Homeowners are taking the properties off the market. So 
The number of condominiums for sale right now is about the same as it was in March. It's around 2,000 units, and it's dropping on a weekly basis. This is on the resale market in, in essential, you know, we call downtowns basically Eglinton to the waterfront, BVP to uh, Dufferin. In that area, at this time of the year, there should be 25, 2,600 condos for sale, and there's around 2,000. So the supply is shrinking, and the question is, why is that? Because people are just not prepared to sell. So what's happening now is that um, rentals are skyrocketing. So we're seeing six, seven, eight, nine, ten offers on rentals, and rental prices. So a one-bedroom during the Hazita COVID was sixteen, seventeen hundred a month. It's now twenty-three fifty a month. Oh, so people okay. that people people that thought. They could get in the market and they had rent protection at 1700 If they're in a non-rent-controlled unit uh, or if they leave their unit, the rent shock is incredible. We're looking at about 40% increases in rent since COVID, maybe 45 so the show, my friends, is Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, Brad Lamb's on the line. We're talking real estate, uh, both locally and nationally. Uh, certainly a front and center discussion. It's also a cornerstone in wealth creation. View your stock portfolio as you view your home. As Jack says, you will do so much better. Quick break. Get right back to Brad Lamb and Jack Hartle on Hi-Fi Radio 640 Toronto. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto, Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers, here to help you have more of it. Brad Lamb, uh, developer, uh, broker, uh, veteran in the real estate market, uh, here to spend some time with us, giving us the lay of the land. Uh, Again, it's all about interest rates and inflation, uh, my good friends, and mortgage rates uh, at the variable rate uh, have gone up, well, almost 200%. Uh, money was bored variably for you know one and a half percent. It's now costing I guess four point seven. Is that where we're at right now, gentlemen? Is it four point seven at prime? Therefore, uh, uh, the variable rate. Uh, wow. Yeah, that's a big, big rate of change. Um, Brad, you would know this better. Uh, variable rate mortgages um, were, were, were gobbled up in the last number of years because you, could, you, you couldn't go wrong. Interest rates kept falling and uh, cheap money is cheap money and the variable rate was the cheapest on the board. Uh, every, every variable rate contract that you get into seems to be different. Um, in other words, the one I have, uh, they do not adjust my monthly payment. It remains 
constant for the five-year term unless uh, I start going with, I guess, not negative equity or uh, I'm not paying enough to negative amortization, whereby I'm not actually servicing all of the debt uh, and then they have to raise rate for me. So if they don't change my monthly, what's happening is my amortization is getting longer. Uh, so that too affects me because at some point I do want to retire without a mortgage. And I sort of plan to pay off the mortgage during my working years and hit 65 and be debt-free. But rate's gone up. Uh, I have to adjust accordingly. Uh, but I'm fine, Brad. I can I, I can handle the bump and I was well prepared for a, a rate hike. I, I work in the business. I expect interest rates to go up. It's just a matter of uh, if, not when. And the when has come. And it came very very quickly, I think. I think it caught a lot of people off guard, Brad. Um, but and, and that's my point. When you get caught off guard, you can get yourself into trouble. So how many people out there do you think are sitting there with variable rate mortgages whereby the monthly is being adjusted upward or they're about to renew and they, they just can't afford um, the amount of food on their plate? They took on too much debt. So you're, you're a strong borrower. You're wealthy and your mortgage is irrelevant to you. Whether it's uh, whether they chip in and or they ask you to, to, to make a slightly higher payment, which some variable rate mortgages do, it's not going to affect you. And anyone who is able to borrow on a variable basis is a strong borrower because if you're not a strong borrower, you have to you have to work with the stress test and qualify for uh, a, an interest rate that is is two percentage points higher than what you actually paid, right? Correct. So, so actually, I don't think anything's going to happen. I, I think that um, I, I, I don't think people should should panic. I, I think that they should change their behavior while uh, interest rates are higher. And, and I think they will. People will spend less money. They'll travel less. They will buy less real estate because rates are higher. That's all of this is meant to do that. And then what will happen is inflation will go down and then interest rates will go down. And it will all happen, I think, a lot faster uh, than we know. And, and, and the reason why I say that is because I've seen, I've now seen seven real estate downturns uh, in my life, um, and, and they never last uh, really more than uh, six months to a year. And so, how much trouble is someone going to get into a year? Like, if they've qualified um, uh, for the mortgage. So, you know, most people have term mortgages to go three, four, five years if they're, if they're those borderline borrowers. Um, so I, I don't think there's that many people that are borderline borrowers that have an issue with being able to make their payments. Uh, the rent market... The, sorry, Jack. Go, go ahead, Jack. I just going to agree with Brad on that one. Like, if you look at the, the mortgage market in Canada, um, we're exceptionally, exceptionally conservative with how they... Um, they have the stress test, which I think is actually too onerous, uh, the, especially now that rates have risen. But um, I think it's almost like 50% of homeowners in Canada uh, don't have a mortgage. We'll start with that. Uh, and as Brad said, a lot of them are term mortgages. And then the variable mortgages within the last year, maybe 18 months, um, maybe there's a few of them that may get into the stress. But I think with the demand out there, uh, people I feel like they missed the boat through COVID, especially with rates going down so much and housing prices going up. So not only in Canada are the borrowers high quality, but in the U.S., uh, we went through our slide deck with our conference call just this week, and they learned their lesson over the last 13 years with the subprime issues that they had. The mortgages in U.S. hands right now are stronger than they've ever been in the last call it 12 to 15 years, and that's because um, there's high quality borrowers that have great credit scores, 
And that will provide some ballast in some more turbulent markets, especially with rising interest rates. Well, you know, Brad, you, you spoke about, I think you're alluding to the fact that there will be some relief in interest rates. Uh, Jack and I have been speaking about that for some time because we look to the bond market. It is all-knowing. Um, and it's remarkable how in advance the bond market is of what's to come. And the 10-year yield, the 10-year bond yield, has fallen uh, from, Jack, did it get to 3.5%? It was above 3 and a quarter. Um I think it got to three. That's right. Yeah, it got to three and a half, and now it's trading below three percent. That tells me we will see relief in the market. But you know, I want to raise another point because on the weekend I was pondering. You know, why is the central bank raising interest rates so aggressively? Yes, we understand there's inflation out there, and at at first first blush, I said, so what? But I'll say what the issue is, and 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 they don't share this, I think, enough with us um, as to why their strategy is to raise interest rates aggressively, and that is because people are being left behind. If, if house prices and stock prices and, and asset prices run away from quote unquote the average individual, and they and their wages don't keep pace, you can have social unrest. So I, I hate to say it, but this rise in interest rate and forced slowdown of the economy is a good thing for all of us. Uh, we want a safe society. We don't want hijackings and, and, and arson and robberies uh, by the have-nots. We want them to participate. And I think Jack and, and, and Brad, you're going to both agree with me with that statement. But Jack, I want to ask you, and Brad, but, uh, jump in here because you understand the, the debt market very well. You're out there borrowing a lot of money to build your project with a long view. Um, Jack, when do you think interest rates are going to begin to recede based on the dot plot? And Brad, what are you hearing in terms of the land of, uh, the land of mortgages? From what I'm seeing, Wolf, it looks like the, the central banks are going to, to squeeze, and they are right now. So the uh, U.S. is expected to raise next month. Um, but next week. Dollar curve, okay, next week. But yeah. uh, with the euro dollar curve, with the uh, yield curve inverted, um, number of factors looking out, Wolf, I would say they pause sort of end of this year look to cut mid next year that'll be my guess yeah but next week we think either three quarters of a percent or a full percentage point in the united states so i'm sort of bracing myself from that one brad what do you think in terms of uh, mortgage rate hikes and then uh, uh receding thereafter well i think i think more important to having consumers change their attitude is moral suasion right so all of the constant media onslaught, which we've never seen before because people live on their phones. So now information <laughs> instant, right? So they're scaring the shit out of consumers. Consumers are reacting very quickly. Go out to dinner in Toronto now and see how many people are out. It's, it's changed on a dime. Normally it'd take four or five or six months for consumers to understand. They understand and they've changed their behavior immediately. Hmm. Uh, I actually think that there'll be one more increase of rates in Canada probably two in the U.S., and then I think later this year they'll start lowering them again or talk about lowering them early in the new year. I, I, I think that already uh, steam is being taken out of the system. It's just not measurable yet because it's a train. It's got to slow down, right? But consumers, so, so many things are pre-done. Like, you know, people buy airfares three or four months before they travel and they book hotels, and they buy cars a year before they get delivered. So, so a lot of those metrics are false. It's not based on what really is happening today because we live in that order society where you order stuff and you wait for it. But I, no, I it's backward looking. You're right. Yeah. 
I, I think that it's already happened, and and it's going to be measurable in the fall. And I, I think that, I think they've done more damage than they know. And as huh. for letting, so here's the thing about what you said, Wolfgang. Only the only people that will be able to benefit from this moment right now are people that have money. Uh-huh. You can't qualify to buy something with rates this high, and people won't do it because they're afraid. So people who are opportunistic, they'll buy stocks. They will buy companies. They'll buy real estate because they'll get a deal. But the people who are being left behind are being left behind. And when we go back to it again and things click into gear again, real estate prices aren't going to be lower than they were previously. They're going to be higher. I'll give you an example why. The city of Toronto just passed a bylaw. This happens everywhere. Everywhere in the world. We're not alone. It's going to add $50,000 to the price of every condo in Toronto we have to build. $50,000. Just one thing they did yesterday. So there's no, there's no possible way prices are going to go down once this happens. This was artificially engineered slowdown. Jack? Well, the central banks, uh, at the beginning of the year, they, they talked rates up. They told us exactly where they expected to go. And consumers did react. So in terms of what Brad's saying about transparency, and central banks have a lot more transparency post-great financial crisis, they have scared the consumer without question. Um, hopefully they scared them enough that they don't have to continue to raise rates um, and they can what we call pivot. But between now and then, I think that there's some real uh, pain that's going to be caused in the economy. Uh, we're starting to see the slowdown. And it's going to be the, the weak hands that could shake it out at some point. And the, the cycle will continue. So we can get shaken out, strong hands pick up quality assets, and then um, that marks the, the setup of the new cycle or the start of the new cycle. Um, Brad, we got about 60 seconds left. Um, I have to ask you about the, the new market uh, that surfaced during COVID was the 705. Uh, it used to be the 905, but it, it went as far as the 705 market. Uh, any signals of uh, excessive purchase price purchase prices being put to bed uh, during COVID. Uh, now waking up to a bit more of a realistic uh, pricing environment. Yeah, absolutely. In, in areas like, for instance, Kingston, which you would see you would see a property sell for 1.1 million uh, late last year. Um, in in February, those were down to 800 thousand. So as people <laughs> realize moving out of the city and having a country life and still have your city job uh, isn't, doesn't working and isn't going to work, um, less and less people are, are bidding on those houses, so they've come back to reality. Yeah. Brad Lamb, uh, very insightful, uh, really insightful stuff from a, well, a, a complete veteran in the industry. I can't thank you enough for your time and insight, and you're a strong hand, and uh, yeah, we, we are totally on side. A long view on your family life, and your business life, and therefore your investment life. It'll serve you well. Uh, My friend, have an excellent weekend. Uh, Jack and I will circle back to you uh, probably in a quarter or so just to get an update on the market, okay? Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Uh, Amos Nadler, uh, a professor and practitioner in behavioral finance, uh, is going to join us on the show. Quick break and get right back to it. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. 
People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're Welcome back, my friends. Amos Nadler, Chief Scientist at uh, Poise Wealth Tech, uh, Finance and Behavioral Economic Research with an emphasis on uh, digital assets. Um, incredible guy. We've had him on the show many a times. Uh, neurofinance, neuroeconomics, econometrics, economic analysis. Sounds impressive. Um, really, the study of people. Uh, people make up markets. And, well, I agree with Jim Morrison. Don't you? Amos, uh, Jack and I always, always, always uh, chuckle. Uh, put a sale on anything. Uh, put a sale, anything. <laughs> and, and, and anything goes on sale and, and people buy more of it. Toilet paper, uh, Coke, uh, ground beef, Wagyu steak. Put Wagyu on sale and watch people buy Wagyu. But you put companies on sale, you put businesses on sale, otherwise known as stocks, they don't want them. They don't want them. Uh, and then, you know, things are down 25%. Like, this is a pretty good sale. This is a pretty good Boxing Day sale. 25% off, 35%. Some companies, we bought, Jack and I bought Zoom Video. Um, and I'm going to jinx this puppy. And I'm slightly off on the trade, by the way. We bought Zoom Video down 80%. Down 80 the world's going to zoom well if you don't travel and zoom, 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 as it's running to 500. I said, well, careful, uh, you'll get a better chance. I didn't expect it to, to, to implode down 80, but at some point you got to step in and say, this is good value. And Brad Lamb, uh, just on our show, was speaking about, you know, those who can borrow money, those who have access to capital can step in and make some very good value plays. But why don't people buy companies and stocks when they're down almost? They're strange. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is an excellent question, and, and uh, great to uh, hear your wonderful voice, Wolf and Jack. Thank you for the invite. Well, uh, y your point about going uh, buying things on sale versus equities uh, related possibly to those same companies, buying uh, a jacket that's on sale, that's the, the oldest trick in the book. Basically, you, <laughs> set your price, you set your price ridiculously high and then periodically provide this quote-unquote big sale. In the behavioral economics world, it's just simply called anchoring. People are anchored to that coat being $500, and then you walk in, it's $350. You think you're stealing $150 from the Bay or whoever. Uh, oldest trick in the book. The difference between equities is that, A, just because it's uh, on sale doesn't mean it's cheap. Because, I mean, in this current situation, we're also dealing with uncertainty on top of uncertainty on top of uncertainty. And you could probably figure out what those kind of three or four major uncertainty types are. And this is, this is a point to remember, just because it's on sale doesn't mean it's cheap. And I think it, it forces us as the analyst to make a decision about whether the forward earnings uh, relative to the current price makes sense. So I agree that there are deals to be had and absolutely tremendous fortunes are made during big crashes. Like I'm not debating that at all. But if you're going to be a stock taker, you have to have the ability to differentiate between those that have strong fundamentals and beaten down and have a future versus those that may have been buoyed up by irrationality previously. So it's, it's a bit of a process, but there's certainly huge potential to do very, very well. Uh, you look at any Canadian bank stock almost, and they're under a lot of pressure because of the change in interest rates and the amount of debt Canadians have. And Jack and Brad were just on our show again talking about actually the health of the mortgage market because people truly aren't overextended and they're able to absorb 
a rise in rates. And of course, uh, time will only tell, but I do think that they are right. I don't think you're going to see a lot of foreclosures in Canada. It just doesn't seem to happen that way. Um, but that said, uh, Canadian bank stocks, as an example, down some 30%. Constantly stable, raising their dividends. Uh, earnings tend to go up year after year, uh, yet the market doesn't want them. Uh, even, even when the U.S. banks in a similar situation, the market doesn't want them um, until it does. And then it turns so darn quickly, uh, it pops 25% uh, in short order and, and you miss the turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. You could say the same thing for, for real estate stocks. You can make that comment about lots of things. And I was uh, chatting with, with a colleague about this very issue and people are reacting like this, the intro song is perfect is, is people are strange in the sense that they make assumptions that aren't necessarily true. And I'll, I'll comment about both banks and real estate. And some, some of these, the terms of some of these loans are so long that they are less vulnerable to the short term changes in the interest rate. So you can be locked in for significant amounts of money and people overreact like, Oh gosh, interest rates are going up. There's risk. You know, they start to be fearful. Their amygdala fires and they just want to get out and go to cash. When the best thing you could do is maybe, like you said, scoop it up low. The dividend yield is significantly higher if you look at some of these stocks now. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like what we call system one versus system two in, in behavioral economics, where system one is just a reaction. And people react to the first thing that their brain tells them. System two is, oh, okay, I see this information. Now I'm going to, in a kind of more deliberate way, parse through that information. Experts like yourself can see a situation, not react in a system one way, but rather in a more trained expert way of saying, oh, I, I see this signal and I'm going to take it for what it actually is versus just being fearful of this change of this threat. And that's, that's what experience does. And you have to kind of help people mature and help people understand the differences, especially I'm sure you have these conversations with your clients where they're just reacting in a sort of system one way and say, okay, guys, let's talk through the fundamentals. Let me help you explain why getting out is not the right thing and actually doubling down may be the right thing. And that's, I'm sure you have those conversations all the time. Well, it, it, it's remarkable. Uh, during our uh, most recent client conference call, which Jack and I frequently uh, offer to our select group of clients, is uh, basically a one-on-one in-depth uh, analysis of where we are at a given point in time. And uh, the conference calls are a very, very good way of doing that. Uh, but we, we, we put a graph up and it showed what time does to risk on various asset classes. Long-term Cash is trash. Long-term cash works its way to zero through a phenomena known as inflation. So you must keep your cash working. Uh, similar for the bond market, because uh, the bond market barely keeps up with inflation and after taxes tends to be a losing proposition. So once again, long-term, the bond market does not generate nearly the amount of safety that you think it does. In fact, it, it becomes riskier due to taxes and inflation, whereas long-term stock risk diminishes dramatically. And again, if you were to ask me, say, well, if you're the professional, Jack, you're the professional, guys, what is the stock market going to do tomorrow? Um, at best, Jack and I, with all of our wisdom, will have a 50% probability of being right and a 50% probability of being wrong on predicting the stock market tomorrow. I can predict tomorrow's weather much more accurately than I can predict the stock market. However, where we will be weather-wise in 10 years, I do not know. Uh, look, almost. we're going to take a quick break, get right back to our chief scientist, uh, neuroeconomic behavioral finance expert, Amos Nadler. Uh, Jack Hartle, of course, producer of the show. Moi aussi, 
portfolio manager, uh, help you build wealth. WolfgangKlein.com. Any questions, my friends? Uh, anytime, we'll get back to you. We're here for you. I'm uh, going to take a quick break and uh, finish up with Amos right after this. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my friends. Only on the dance floor, only at the disco, shall you freak out. In the world of investments, remain seated, remain calm. Easier said than done. Um, Almost Nadler, chief scientist, uh, neuroeconomics expert, uh, behavioral finance expert, former professor in the field of behavioral finance and human behavior. Um, in terms of success or failure of a financial plan, almost to, to what degree does humor in, does, does human interaction uh, and involvement affect the outcome of one's financial plan? Well, the, the human touch that you guys provide, that professional help provides investors, is, is considered one of the most important uh, attributes of the profession. And, and I'm not debasing all the other important things that you guys do, asset selection, portfolio construction, but that point through the research uh, in, in the portfolio management space is saying to have someone to speak with when you are freaking out can help change what you do as a, as a you know, product of that fear. And one of the things that we have suggested to people is say, okay, it, it's okay to have the emotions that you're having and you feel like you need to do something, but well, you can make a small movement. You could sell a, a portion of a position and what's amazing is that people feel disproportionately better about this really small economic decision versus doing nothing and so I, and I don't know if this is something that, that you guys also do but we found it just to kind of scratch that if sell like one percent and they feel better and they're still invested so I think that there are behavioral uh, sort of processes or behavioral options that are made available to people that allow them to be economically invested while feeling emotionally better. Well, uh, I'm gonna jump in. Please. I got to jump in just because uh, with the experience that we have, behavioral and finance uh, is a much greater factor than investors can appreciate. And it's different for everyone because some people don't have a, you know, a significant behavioral bias. Some people uh, can just, you know, take that telescope out and, and think longer term. And, you know, when things get troubled, some people take out the microscope and, and look at every fine detail and every little economic stat that comes out. But behavioral is underappreciated in terms of how much uh, success you're going to have as an investor. And if you just look at the market long term, you talked about it, Wolf, 10 years, high probable outcome that the market's going to be higher. The problem is that investors are their worst enemy and their behavioral is, is one of the significant issues that they have over the long term because they, they make a rational decision over the short term that affects their long-term financial plan. Uh, um, uh, Amos, I want to share something with you in the audience right here, right now, and that is uh, a piece of paper that ended up on my desk uh, with the happiness curve on it. The <laughs> happiness curve, uh, this was studied internationally um, 
emerging markets, developed markets, uh, and then the, the, the globe in, in its entirety. Of, of, of what age uh, are you happiest and what age are you least happy, happiest? And what, what they have found was uh, from, from age 16, your happiness actually diminishes and it continues to diminish in and around age 50, aka midlife crises, and then your happiness begins to go up. It looks like mm -hmm. a smile, so it, it, like a saucer, right? So it goes down and then it comes back up. And I wanna parlay that into investors. Uh, what I have found is, is the very young investors can, can get really rattled and nervous and, and, and try to overthink things uh, and, and be very cute and all knowing. Uh, whereas the older investor who's seen this movie before it does, doesn't get ruffled anymore. And, and, and the individual at age 50 sort of gave up and said, it's time to let the experts do their thing. So I think the most vulnerable individual from an investment point of view where they can become their own worst enemy is those be the age of 25 and 50. And really at the age of 25 and 50, if you want to become wealthy, take on the responsibility of becoming wealthy. The market will take care of itself. Trust me. Just look at the statistics over decades. The market will take care of you as long as you feed it with your savings. So accumulate, save, and repeat. Do that for 25 years. Mark my words, statistically speaking, high probable outcome, you shall be rich. The happiness curve. You think about that, my friends, and just try to move yourself more to the right. Uh, I guess, you know, getting older, there's benefits of being older. You're going to be happier when you're older, according to the stats. Uh, do you want to speak to that briefly, uh, Amos? Absolutely. There's uh, significant research about happiness in economics, which, which is great, because most people think of economics as like the dismal science. Uh, <laughs> money plays a huge part, and there's, there's kind of a break point. Uh, if you're below a particular income, uh, yeah. so, so down in the United States, below that point, you're, you're relatively unhappy, and then it sharply rises. I think 70,000 uh, is the number that makes people significantly happier. And as you age, there's a lot of other things happening, but to hit that dollar amount, which could be either through income and or wealth, you have an existential sense of safety, you have an existential sense of being happy because your fundamental survival needs are met and you're allowed to, to be happy. Money, I think, plays a huge part in the happiness curve. Uh, and for younger people listening, the ability to invest and to abnegate from buying the cool stuff or the fancy car or that cool apartment debt, like, trust me, as someone who's, who's been there, it's worth abnegating investing to get to that point because you can radically increase your happiness curve by making those tough savings decisions early in appreciating the value of future uh, earnings and future wealth. Well, again, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and you're speaking to that at the very bottom of that pyramid. Anyone took marketing or went to school, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it came up in so many different courses. And at the very bottom of it is safety needs. Money can provide safety. Delay gratification, save each and every week. So don't spend everything you make and don't spend more than you make, my friends. That is a faux pas. But build a nest egg, create safety. You will feel better. You want to feel better? Take our advice. We're here for you. Uh, Amos Nadler, it's a treat. Uh, honestly, it is to have you on the show. Real delight. Uh, please continue success. Uh, remain safe uh, and stay sharp as you always do. Jack Hartle, great job uh, as always, my partner. Uh, thank you for your efforts uh, and your diligence to helping our clients become more successful each and every day. Uh, friends, have a great weekend. Jack and I will be back next week. 6.40 in Toronto at 7 p.m. Tell your friends.
Have a good one. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.